Hi, this is Northology, a podcast and blog supporting and promoting the tech and startup community in Manchester. It's um, December 13th, Thursday, so I'm a day late with today's podcast. And today we're coming from the Teacup in Manchester and Thomas Street again. And today I have with me Mike. Hi there, Nathan. And uh, Mike's going to be talking to us a, a bit about um, his uh, his startups and his uh, trip to exciting trip to America that he just got back to from uh, this week. Um, so just a couple of notices. Thanks for the feedback again from the, for the last couple of uh, episodes. Um, next week, I think I'm going to be doing a, a year-end wrap-up with um, Shaf Chowdhury. Uh, he's Shaf.5 on Twitter. Uh, he's the guy who first came up with the Northology concept uh, and idea with me over a year ago. So we're going to be doing a, a recording of the year in Manchester review, just going over some of the significant uh, things that have happened. So keep an eye out for that uh, next Wednesday. And then I'm go- we're going to have a bit of a break over the holiday period, and we'll be back again in the new year. But... Um, yeah, Mike, do you want to just introduce yourself uh, for the interview and uh, t- tell us what you're about? Hi, hi there. Um, so my name's Mike. I've been living in Manchester for about a year and a half now. I moved here from Bury, so a uh, fairly local lad. And um, my main business these days is uh, involved in the skydiving industry. So I develop software. Um, originally started out just as a web designer, making basic websites for people. Uh, but came upon a very unique opportunity uh, in my hobby, which was skydiving, to make software to manage skydiving centers. Um, so covering all aspects of uh, how the centers work, from bookings and customer inquiries, right through to logistics of getting in planes and taking off planes on the day. Excellent. So on, um, I knew that you'd been to America recently, and uh, on, I think it was Tuesday, no, Tuesday night, uh, uh, Tuesday morning, well, it was Monday night, I saw someone say, uh, a tweet come across my stream saying, I'm getting into Manchester in the morning, does anyone want to pick me up from the uh, airport? So I thought, oh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do that, you know, I've got my little car, I can, uh, I can give them a lift. So, um, yeah, so I picked you up, and uh, where had you been? Yeah, so I'd been on a three-week tour of the USA, um, mostly coastal, uh, or that was the original plan. So I had a, a week in Florida, and then I was going to have two weeks in California, um, I was over there to work at the center in California uh, for a week in the middle, and then I was going to be touring either side, sort of on a bit of a sales trip. Uh, it took an unexpected turn, and I ended up in the last week taking a uh, four-day trip up to the cold north of Minnesota um, for a, uh, a, ver- a surprise software installation, which isn't something you get in every industry. Um, but yeah, um, it was a, a great experience to see a bit more of the, the states. Um, had a final night in San Francisco. And then, yeah, came back to England uh, incredibly tired, but uh, very excited after a, a good few weeks abroad. And so you say your hobby is skydiving. When did you get into that? And, uh, and how many jumps have you done? Oh, what's the lingo? How many jumps have you done? Is that what you ask? That's what you say, yeah. So I got into skydiving in my second year of university. Um, I was sort of looking for something new at the start of my second year. Went to the Freshers' Fair and, um, yeah, met, this, met the Durham University Freefall Club. So I was at Durham at the time. Uh, met the Freefall Club. They convinced me that spending £160 to do a, a skydive wasn't a silly idea at all um, and convinced me that the ways of earning money in the business, which I didn't believe at the time, but has now proved very true. Yeah, when I was at, uh, at university, I was in the canoe club and the skydiving club would be right next to us and we'd be there, you know, signing people up and, you know, come along, you know, it's only five or a night at the aquatic centre and, you know, you don't need to bring any equipment and everything like that. And the guys next to us were getting loads and loads of interest, people coming over, talking to them. I think they signed up four or five people in the whole Freshers' Fair. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's in Manchester. I don't know what it's like in Durham. It's a similar thing in Durham, actually. I mean, I ended up, um, me and a few friends, we ended up running the society for the next few years. And it was the same thing, you know, everyone's interested because obviously it's, it's skydiving, it's something incredible. 
But when you say the cost of people, it's understandable that a lot of people don't want to put that kind of money. I mean, I've never really been rich, but I had, I'd, I'd worked over that summer, and I thought, well, I need to, um, I need to make, I need to make use of this, do something a bit different. And um, it did turn out that you can make money in the sport. Um, and yes, yeah, since, since you asked, I've done 110 jumps, and all of them have been solo jumps. Uh, so started that training, yeah, 2007, and um, so I've done 110 jumps in the intervening five years. And is that about average then, or is that like uh, someone who's enthusiastic about it? Uh, that's actually lower than average. Uh, so a lot of my friends who started at the same time as me have maybe 300 jumps by now um, because they have maybe made some more time, maybe some more money, um, or maybe just less other activities. I was involved with a lot of other stuff at university, so I kind of had to balance everything. Um, since I've started working the business, it's been sort of a double-edged um, double thing that, that I get free jumps when I go to the jump at these centers, but at the same time, I spend so long working that occasionally I'll be there for a whole day and I'll only get one in, whereas people who are there for fun get six or seven. And so, um, I don't know much about the industry, so, so how does this typical, um, do you jump out of airports? I've heard you say drop zone a few times, is that the name of your software? But that's the name of the, just, let, let, go on, say, so explain how the setup works when you go to a day. Yeah, so some, some lingo, so um, drop zone is what we call, uh, it can generally be used to refer to as a skydiving center, so anywhere you go skydiving, we, we will call a drop zone. So if I say I'm off to the local center, uh, the local center for Manchester is up in Lancaster, a place called Black Knights. If I was off the Black Knights, I'd say, oh, I'm off to the drop zone. But the actual drop zone is technically the area where you land. So in America, they have an interesting thing where a lot of uh, skydiving centers run out of commercial airports, which means they can take off on the runways there, but they can't land on the airport. So their drop zone is actually maybe a few miles away, in a, in, generally in a field somewhere. Um, where So over in America, you'll often land and then you'll have to get, they'll, they'll send a, a minibus to pick you up and bring you back to the airport with everyone's parachutes. Um, in England, it's generally a little bit nicer. Most of the airfields over here are private airfields, where either the drop zone owner also owns the airfield, or maybe they just rent the airfield space. So in England, you don't generally need to take a bus. Um, unless you uh, get the wind blowing in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I hear these. So it's, it sounds like a very complicated setup. So what does your software that you've, have you developed this from scratch then? Uh, okay, so yeah. Um, so what, what's it actually managing? Um, ticketing or does it manage, you know, just the, just the full center? I don't, I don't know what, I'm sure it's more complicated than that. Yeah, it, it does. It manages the full center. Uh, that's, that's the aim of it. Initially, it started out doing what we call manifest. So this is true of any aircraft you get on at any, any time uh, in the world, really. If you get on an aircraft, there has to be a manifest for that aircraft, which is simply a list of all the people on the aircraft and what they're doing, which generally is they are flying from this airport to this airport. It's fairly simple. We still have to have a manifest. Uh, we're governed by the Civil Aviation Authority, uh, the same as any other uh, private or commercial person flying in England. Um, but our manifest obviously a little bit different because we're marked as getting out halfway. Um, and so we have a manifest and the manifest has to be drawn up by someone at the drop zone. And the manifest can be quite a complex thing to draw up because at a drop zone on an operational day, you might have 20 guys there to do tandem skydives. You might have 10 people like me who are there to do fun sports jumping. Um, you might have a couple of people who are like I used to be training to jump solo. Um, and then you've got instructors, you've got pilots, you've got guys doing the fuel. It's a big operation. There's lots of logistics, just like any airport. And so my software basically manages that. It's a drag and drop interface, um, which mimics old paper systems, but with all the sort of advantages of computer systems. So data security, um, prevention against mistakes, events, people being put on a plane when they don't have the correct insurance, or the correct ratings, um, various, various safety procedures which aren't present in a paper system without someone sitting there leafing through a filing cabinet. 
um, but which is a lot more flexible than a lot of previous systems which use spreadsheets or access databases. Yeah, well, it, it sounds good. And and, and what's your uh, so what's your business model uh, with this? And what's the size of the market? Because um, obviously there's there's these drop zones, there's centers all you know worldwide. But you know how big is the potential market for for this software? So yeah, I, I often joke when I tell people what I do that I decided what's the nichest market I could find, and I went for that one. Skydiving, if you're going to target an industry, is probably one of the smallest industries in the world. Uh, in the UK, we have 5,000 um, registered members of the British Parachute Association, so 5,000 people who might jump regularly. Um, and we generally do about 20,000 tandem jumps per year. So there's a, there's a small proportion of it, but it's obviously a very small market compared to anything else. In the UK, there are 23 drop zones, um, and uh, well, 23 sort of full-time. There's a couple of drop zones that are open occasionally throughout the year such as the one in Jersey, who can only open when the um, tides are right to land on the beach. Um, and worldwide, though. So do you add that into your software as well, tide management? Um, well, I've been thinking of it, but unfortunately their business is so small that they're not too keen on uh, paying any more money for software. But it's something I'd be interested in if they're listening. Um, but uh, worldwide, there's actually 2,000 drop zones. So once you start scaling up nationally, and especially America, where I was recently, there's 200 drop zones there. So I'm doing my software unlike anyone previously in the market. Um, I'm, you know, I'm from a technical background. I follow the startup scene. You know, I read all the blogs. And so the whole software as a service industry is, is right up my street, really. And I, I see that as the future of how software is going. It's no longer going to be about people selling big software packages for thousands of, of pounds or, or dollars. It's going to be about subscriptions where people can chop and change and, and do what they want. And that's the same business model I'm using. Um, previous people in the industry who've tried to do what I'm doing have often failed because they sell to you know, 10, 20, 30 drop zones and then they run out of market and then they run out of money because they've already done all the development, they've sold and they have nothing else to sell and they, they go bust or they, they have to do something else. As a subscription service for low cost, drop zones don't have to invest much but if a lot of drop zones take part in buying the software, I have a, a good wage and will hopefully be able to eventually form a, a, you know, a company of a couple of people based around it. And um, so how much, obviously it sounds like they're going to be saving a lot of time and they're also going to be saving a lot of headaches with, you know, potential being sued for putting people on the wrong plane and kicking them out the wrong altitude, that kind of thing. I'm not saying that happened. <laughs> but um, so, so how much will your software save per year or, or save potentially and, and how much does it cost a month? You know, where have you put that equation? Is it 10 to 1 or, or how have you worked that out? So, yeah, it's definitely something I considered. Well, I didn't really consider it when I first priced the software. I kind of looked at how many sales I could get and, and what I needed to sustain the business, which I think is equally valid when you're selling something. You need to know that you're building a sustainable company. Um, and had that price point been too high, I would have realized, well, I can't do this as a business. Um, I'm currently pitching it in the UK at 150 pounds um, and then trying to convert that roughly into dollars um, with maybe a slight decrease because uh, Americans tend to expect to pay a bit less for things. Um, uh, especially because in America, the skydive, skydives cost about half the price. Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's a difference in the amount of money that's coming in and, in and out in different countries. Is that because personal aviation is a bit lot bigger in, in America and planes are cheaper and, and things like that? Exactly, yeah. In America, um, you can, so in some cases, get away with lower wages. Fuel is ridiculously cheaper. Uh, it's about a third of the price to fly out there. Um, and I don't know the situation with the airfield licenses, but a lot of them get uh, airfield rental for free off their local cities. Um, because it brings business into the city, so a lot of them have deals with local businesses. They'll send skydivers to you know local cafes and things afterwards, so boost business in small cities which otherwise wouldn't get tourists. So what I was asking about the ratio, say if you if your software, I, I'm plucking these figures out of the air, but if it, if your software saves somebody fifty thousand dollars a year, 
do you say, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to charge 20% of that, so you say, right, I'm going to charge £10,000 a year, or if you say it's saving them £100,000 a year, but you're only going to um, charge 5% of that, that's £5,000 a year. So have you done that calculation or and, and presenting it that way, or, or you just, like you say, you're just going to go with the figure that you've got? So what you tend to find is that you can do all these calculations and you can come up with a lot of figures, and this is the same for a lot of the software as a service industry. You can come up with all these numbers, but really you never actually know how much money you're saving someone or how much value you have. And despite the fact that you might think that those numbers on a paper are all you need to sell, in fact, the companies generally aren't so bothered because they're never going to see that. They're not going to see directly that paying for this saves exactly this much money. What they will see is that their staff can become more efficient, that they're safer. And as you say, if it avoids an insurance case five years down the line where they could be sued for 30,000, 40,000 pounds for a mishap, then it's technically all worth it based on that. And obviously, I don't pitch it on that. What I try to do is rather than pitching it on a direct, this will save you this much time, therefore it's worth this, is I say, this will make your entire operation smoother. It will make your staff happier. It will mean your staff are more flexible and they can do more with their time. So maybe they don't reduce their staffing hours, but their staff can do more in that time. Maybe the customers aren't going to do more jumps, but they're going to be happier whilst they're there. And keeping the customers happy is obviously a massive benefit. One of the biggest things, especially in the UK industry, is weather. Uh, we get a lot of holds due to weather, so if it's clou too cloudy or too windy, you can't jump. And obviously, especially up in Manchester, that's ridiculously frequent. Um, and so customers are always coming into the office saying, oh, well, when are we going to jump? And th systems like this allow the center to have screens around the uh, customer areas so customers can see what's going on. They have information, and that information just reassures them that things are going on. And when the planes are flying, they can see a big list of who's going up next. So they know, okay, I've got an hour to wait. I may as well get a sandwich. And things like that just keep customers happy. When they go home, they're going to tell their friends. So the business gets boosted in general. And that's almost priceless, that thing, keeping it. it and I suppose in America, where continental, it's the weather's more predictable anyway. I suppose that's why you went to Florida and, and California, isn't it? Exactly, yeah, though I must tell a story that in California, I was there for a week, and November's meant to be really good for jumping in California. It's quite mild, um, so you know, you're, not, you're not sort of really, really sweating on the ground, um, but uh, you generally get quite clear skies, no winds, so it's really nice for jumping. Uh, the week I was there, they had one of their longest streaks of rain uh, in, in a single week for a long time. And um, the, the owner of the drop zone there is actually British. Uh, he used to live in Suffolk about 20 years ago. Um, and he's been there all that time. And he said, uh, it's never been as bad weather. And I said, well, it's a problem when you have two British guys meet up in California and the weather's just gonna follow them, isn't it? That's brilliant. So uh, you said you had, when you were in California, you headed off to, um, what do you say, Minnesota? What, what was that? So yeah, it was a very unexpected. I was planning this trip. Um, my plan was to leave the drop zone I was at in California. Um, so I was at Santa Barbara, which is uh, about a third of the way between LA and San Francisco. I was at Santa Barbara and my plan was to tour up the coast uh, via a number of centers that uh, the owner of Santa Barbara knew. Uh, he was gonna call, a, call ahead of me and tell them I was coming so that I could go and hopefully get a, a bit of a, you know, a meeting with them, do some software demonstrations. And we were planning it, looking at the trains, and public transport in America is really terrible compared to what we have over here. Um, but I, I'd worked out I could do the trip, and then we just got a call from a friend of his who owns two drop zones, one in uh, Minneapolis, so up in, you know, up in the far north and near Lake Superior, and another drop zone they've just opened right down in Houston, Texas. Uh, they called. Unfortunately, they wanted me to visit them in Minneapolis rather than Texas, so uh, I, had to, uh, I had to borrow some extra clothing because I hadn't packed for the cold weather. Um, but yeah, the, the next morning I took a flight at uh, eight in the morning and flew all the way to Minneapolis. So I think that's just 
it's the kind of thing you've got to be prepared for when you're in the startup community is these sudden unexpected opportunities and I had to spend 400 pounds then and there on, on flights without necessarily knowing if I was going to get a sale out of it but it's that kind of risk that that, that, that pays off and in that case it did because I spent four days in Minnesota and I now have customers in Minnesota and in, and in uh, Houston. Oh, that's excellent. So, so just just run through quickly uh, about, about how the software uh, works. So you said it's drag and drop. Is it, is, is, do you install it on the computers there? Or is it web-based or is it server-based? Um, and, and then we'll move on to another topic. Yeah, so the whole thing is uh, web-based. Um, depending on who I'm talking to, I might call it cloud computing. Uh, I mean, we all know that's a buzzword these days. But, you know, it does tend to sell. And people always ask, oh, is it on the cloud? And at that point, you may as well just agree. But it's a web-based system. Um, I've been a, a web developer and um, I develop in PHP, one of the sort of more established web languages. There's going to be a load of Python and Ruby guys shaking their heads right about now. But um, I think the, the system I'm using is suitable for what I, what I do. And a lot of the main body of the work, because it's a lot of front-end interface, and it's all about getting that interface right. It's about getting it speedy for the staff. Because if the staff have to wait, if they have to click on too many menus or type too many things, they're going to get frustrated and they're going to not want to use the system. So really, most of my time is spent working on JavaScript. Um, so there's a huge amount of uh, user interface programming that I do, uh, all using JavaScript and the jQuery uh, language. And I've learned a huge amount about JavaScript uh, through doing this project and a lot of user interface work. So that, that's kind of how it's built. Uh, it runs on a server. I'm, I'm hosted with uh, Melbourne, server hosting over uh, at the uh, Manchester Science Park. Yeah, so I featured them last week on last week's episode. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they're a well-known name around Manchester. I don't think they really need me to plug them, but uh, I will do because they're really helpful. Um, and um, I'm hosted with them, and um, so that gives me a lot of security. When, I, when the customers talk to me about where their data actually is, I can say, well, if you want, I can go and, you know, I can, I can bring a webcam and I can actually show you where your data is. Um, and they like that. They like the fact it's secure. Uh, we, we obviously have a lot of incremental backups and, and everything to keep that data safe, um, you know, using as much, uh, you know, we use passwording, encryption, and every, as much as I can to keep all their data secure. Um, Hopefully, no one's ever going to try and uh, hack into it. But uh, I, I do my best, and in future, there'll be a lot more work in security as the as the business gets bigger. I'm sure. Okay, and uh, just if people want to find out more uh, about it, where do they go? So, if they want to find out more, they can visit my website at gcskydiving.com. So, uh, the system is called Ground Control, um, but because Ground Control is really hard to type out when you're in a hurry, especially on a mobile phone, uh, we shorten the domain to gcskydiving.com. Excellent. And are you going to be looking for co-developers in the future or salespeople? Do you need some people who are passionate about skydiving and also passionate about sales to help you out? Or are you going to continue with the, with the sales push and things like that? Yeah, now that I've had my trip to America and I've um, had a sort of unprecedented success in actually coming home with you know, more customers than I went out there with um, and, and some, more, some more funds, um, I've decided I want to take on a co-founder. I'm currently trying to make the decision about where that co-founder will be located. Um, obviously, being in America would be very handy for them because it means that they can tour around and visit the centers for a lot less money than it costs me. Is, it, is America where the bulk of your customers are going to come from over the next year or so, do you think? At the moment, I think so. The UK industry, I have five drop zones over here using my system. As I say, we have 23 drop zones which could potentially take on the software. So the market is not running out over here, um, but it's a smaller market. A lot of the centers are uh, fairly they're happy with what they have. They run more as sort of lifestyle businesses than necessarily big sort of money-making companies, and that's obviously a brilliant thing. Um, but it means that, um, you know, you, you can't hard sell as much on it. Um, and there are quite a few people interested, and they just want to wait and see it gets established. I think America, though, with 200 drop zones, with the a big aviation industry, with a lot of wealth over there, 
it's a really good place to do business. So one of my ideas is an American co-founder would allow me to have that access directly to the States and give a lot of reassurance to centers over there. At the same time, I'd be quite interested to work with someone um, and it'd be really cool to be able to sit down, you know, at least once a week with someone who I was working with, you know, sit down, plan and work, even if they live somewhere else in the UK. Um, if there was someone in Manchester, then obviously I'd love it. And um, I'm definitely thinking of offering some sort of equity and profit split on the business to try and bring in a co-founder to, to boost the business to the next level. Okay, well, let, let's see a bit, well, you, why, why, have you come to, uh, why have you come to Manchester? You studied in Durham, did you say? Yeah, uh, and where did, you, where did you grow, and you're from Burnley, so, so what brought you to Manchester then? I'm from Bury, not Burnley. Uh, Bury, sorry, I need to get this right sometime. Oh, you've got, you got to get that right, that's very important. Yeah, so um, growing up in Bury, um, f uh, moved there when I was five years old, so Manche Manchester in the area has kind of been my life, really. Um, I, it's weird, I never identified as being from Manchester until I went to university. Uh, my family's actually from Liverpool, which is a bit of a faux pas around here. Um, but, uh, so I always identified as Berry. Uh, when I went to university, I found that no one knew where Berry was. Or because I was at Durham and a lot of people were Southern, everyone thought I meant Berry St. Edmunds in Cambridgeshire. <laughs> so I had to switch to saying, yeah, I'm from Manchester. And, and weirdly enough, saying that kind of gave me a Manchester identity. So when I moved back home, I, you know, I knew that Manchester was where I wanted to be. And so I spent uh, about six months living with my parents before finally managing to have earned enough, earned, earned enough money doing freelance web design to uh, move into Manchester. And um, I originally lived in Hume. I lived in Fallowfield for a while, and I now live uh, in an apartment building in Mossside. And um, I, I saw on your Twitter feed this morning that there was a helicopter landed behind your, um, behind your apartment in, in Mossside. What was that about? Yeah, so I was having breakfast with a friend at my, in my apartment, and uh, I, I'm very fortunate to have a tremendous view of Manchester from my window. I can see the entire skyline. And um, right behind us is Manchester Academy's playing field. And there are a lot of kids gathered around. There usually are kids out there, you know, playing in various, uh, you know, sports and things. But they were all just standing around. And the next moment we heard a helicopter very close. We looked out the window and it was landing. Originally, we thought it was uh, the air ambulance. And we, we feared that there'd been some sort of tragic accident. Because if you know the area, you'll, you'll know there's a hospital across the road from this school. So if they need to bring the air ambulance in, something's gone really wrong. Um, but then the door opened and out gets a man dressed as Father Christmas. And um, yeah, he goes around and speaks to the kids. And we you know we were fairly certain Father Christmas arrived by sleigh. I think when he visited my school, he turned up in a car um, when I was young. So you know, obviously he's he's moving up in the world. He's uh, he's got the enterprise spirit as well, and got his own helicopter. Excellent. Okay, so so what 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 kind of scene are you involved in uh, in, in Manchester? I know that you, you you mentioned you were working out of Inner Zone. Uh, uh, what? Inner space. Inner space. I can't. I'm I'm tired this morning. Yeah. From getting up, picking you up from the airport the other day, I've not caught up with my sleep. <laughs> so inner space and things, and where are you now? And what kind of events do you go to in Manchester? How, how do you fit in with the Manchester scene? So yeah, inner space was uh, a brilliant thing for me. Um, a, a combination of two things really: inner space and uh, Geek Up. Uh, Geek Up no longer runs, but there's, there've been some plans for a while, which we really need to get working on to, to continue Manchester Geek Up. Um, but Geek Up was something run by a number of Manchester uh, freelancers, um, which sort of kick-started a whole scene in Manchester, uh, you know, a few years ago. And since then, there's a huge amount of events gone in Manchester, and I tried to get to quite a few of them. I'm quite involved with the PHP Northwest user group, and uh, this year and last year, I've been helping out with their uh, annual conference uh, in Manchester. Um, and Innerspace is uh, Manchester Met University's business accelerator. I started there in July last year after realizing that working from home just wasn't, wasn't doing it for me anymore. Too distracting, you know, you're too close to your bed and uh, working all sorts of weird hours. So. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, so moving to Interspace was really good and it was a great community there. Um, 
since then, uh, the interface community sort of moved away from tech a little bit, and my business has grown at the same time, and it was kind of about the right time to move out, and uh, Tech Hub has just opened in Manchester, and there's been a lot of word about that lately. Um, there was a start of weekend uh, a few weeks ago, which I think Northology covered. Um, and um, Yeah, just to clear that, it wasn't Northology. I was actually hired as a video producer, oh, but okay. as in Nathan Ray Productions, my video production company, the guys there, that actually hired me. So I was actually working for uh, Tech Hub Manchester that weekend. Oh, okay. uh, but everybody knows me from Northology, so I, can, I know where the confusion comes from. <laughs> no worries, yeah. So, um, well, yeah, Tech Hub seems like a great thing, and I'm hopefully moving in there. Within the next week, uh, I would have moved in when it opened, but the day it opened was the day I flew out to America. And they had no desks that day either. And they had no. Well, no, they had some. They, they finally had some desks on that on, the, on that that day, but no chairs exactly. So um, yeah, it would have been it would have been a bit difficult. But you know, I've done the stand up desk thing before, but I'm not really too keen on it. Um, and then there's a few other events um, I, I drop into Manchester. So the Northern Digitals event, which I think is on a bit of a break at the moment. Uh, Northern Soho, um, which I've gone to largely just to kind of get involved with the community. Uh, and then I'm also involved with um, a fair amount of co actual community work down in Mossside um, with groups who are all about sort of improving the Mossside area, um, people in Action for Sustainable Living, um, various um, residence groups and other um, sort of community initiatives down there. Oh, so you become a proper pillar of the community then down in, uh, in Mossside, are you? Well, not quite yet. Um, we've one of our friends, uh, we, we know him as Mr. Mossside, so I couldn't really take the thunder from him. But uh, it's definitely something I'm really interested in. Um, I'm hoping to start uh, start a resident association up in my uh, my block of flats soon, and um, I think that uh, you can you can mirror a lot of stuff um, in sort of community work from how the tech community works. The tech community is this really interconnected community in the city centre, and it's strange that a business can have that kind of linking, whereas a local area doesn't. Um, and so I think it's really important that the local area gets as much of a look in as the the business world. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I just tried to start up a, um, a tool sharing. Um, I don't live in an apartment, I live on a, on a street. I tried to set up like a tool sharing group there because I've got a chainsaw, but I need a lawnmower, that, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, but it never, it never really took off. But, uh, and then I tried to do it on Facebook as well, but nobody wanted to join the group. So anyway, these things happen. Um, I'm not really putting much effort into it. Okay, well, so um, who, who are you on Twitter and where can people find out about more about you and uh, maybe some of the other projects that you're up to? So yeah, my name is um, Mike on Twitter, so that's M1KE. I really like that. Um, obviously you couldn't get Mike, but uh, that's the next best thing I think. Absolutely. Well, the thing is, I, I now realise that I probably could have got Mike. I signed up for Twitter, I think within about a month of its original launch. Uh, I didn't use it for another two years because no one else in the UK was on it. Um, I had it, I occasionally used it, um, I generally used it because I could send text to it and I had a, a bot that was following me, which if I texted the bot, it would add things to my Google Calendar. So in the days before the iPhone, um, and before any kind of nice usable smartphone, that was my main way of accessing the internet from when I was out and about on my rubbishy little um, uh, Nokia phone. So um, yeah, that's, that's Mike on Twitter. Um, and if you happen to be the guy who owns the Mike username, and I know that you don't use it, please give it to me, because uh, it'd be really useful. Yeah, so, um Mike, well, thank you, Mike. Uh, um, and, and go and follow Mike at Twitter and check out the uh, gcskydiving.com. That's right. That's the one. Okay, then. Mike, well, it's part of the podcast now where we move on to What's On in Manchester. So this week, uh, we're, we're recording this Thursday. Hopefully this goes out this evening. But anyway, tonight, today... Uh, we've got the uh, um, 7 p.m. We've got the Manchester Digital, digital uh, Party at the Soup Kitchen, and it's 
Ludaxmas, where you get to use the Ludax um, app to choose the music as, you, as you're going through the night. So check that out, 7pm. All these details you can find on the Northology uh, events page at northology.com slash event. So what's on Friday? So on Friday, um, I guess this is quite appropriate that I'm reading this out. So we've got uh, Tech Base and Beers um, in the evening uh, at 6.30. Uh, and that's every week uh, on Friday. Uh, somewhere in the Tech Basin area, which I think is what they're calling the kind of south end of the Northern Quarter around the Piccadilly, uh, Piccadilly Station area. And um, in fact, there's also the open day all day at Tech Hub Manchester. So I'll probably be down there um, and um, maybe Nathan will as well. Any, anyone can come along tomorrow and work uh, for free at, uh, and to just soak in the atmosphere and see what it's about at Tech Hub tomorrow. That's right. Um, and also tomorrow, uh, Manchester Internet Entrepreneurs Christmas Party is happening at Dukes 92 at 12.30 p.m. And again, there's more details about that on the uh, Northology website. And you're probably too late for that because you had to sign up in advance for that because Dukes 92 is heaving this time of year. They had to sign up and get numbers before that. So, But do check out the internet, uh, Manchester Internet Entrepreneurs, Chris. Uh, uh, it's on weekly at Duke 92. So check that out if you're, if you're an internet entrepreneur. Um, okay, Monday 17th of December, there's the Manchester Lambda Lounge at Mad Lab, and that's 7 p.m. And then on Tuesday, the 18th, uh, there's the Minimum Viable Christmas Social from the Lean Startup Group. Uh, and that's at 6.30 and the uh, location is to be announced. Um, and then half an hour later, at 7 p.m., uh, is the Mad Lab end of year party, which obviously is at the Mad Lab. Okay, and then on uh, Wednesday, we've got the Salford Coworking Jelly. Again, we've got the, uh, that's all day at the uh, Innovation Forum. And then 6.30, we've got the Manchester WordPress user group at MadLab. At 6.45, we've got the Manchester Geek Nights behavior-driven testing for multi-channel enterprise applications. And that's at ThoughtWorks over in uh, Piccadilly. You'll need to sign up for that before you go. And then Hack Manchester, like normal, is on at 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock at MadLab. Uh, and then finally for this week, uh, on December the 20th, so next Thursday, 7 o'clock, it's the Northwest Python user group at Mad Lab for everyone who hates semicolons. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much, Mike. Right, we'll leave it there. Again, if you've got any events that you you want uh, to, to cover here, um, uh, pop them up, pop, go over to the calendar page, the event page, and you can uh, submit an event there. Again, if you're looking for work or if you've got a position open in your company, drop me an email. That's nathan at northology.com, and we can feature, feature it on next week's podcast. Okay, well, it looks like we're half an hour in. I'd love to hear some more feedback, but for now, we'll leave that there. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week.